Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Chapter 77 of The Headless Horseman. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Michelle Day. The Headless Horseman, A Strange Tale of Texas by Maine Reed. Chapter 77, Another Link. It was less surprise than gratification that showed itself on the countenance of Zeb's stump as he deciphered the writing on the paper. That ears the back o' a letter, muttered he. Tells a goodish grist of story, more'n war wrote inside, I reckon. Been used for the wad o' a gun. Well, serves the cuss right for ramming down a rifle ball with a patch and a scurvy paper, instead o' the proper and bestest thing, which ere a bit o' grease buckskin. The rotten air in a she-male hand, he continued, looking anew at the piece of paper. Don't signify for that. It's been sent to him all the same, and he's headed in Persian. It ere something to be took care o'. So saying, he drew out a small skin wallet, which contained his tinder of punk, along with his flint and steel and after carefully stowing away the scrap of paper, he returned the sack to his pocket. "'Well,' he went on in soliloquy, as he stood silently considering, "'I calculate as how this old coon'll be able to unwind a good grist o' this clue o' mystery, though there be a bit o' the thread broken here and there, and a bit o' a puzzle I can't clearly understand. The man who have been murdered, whomsoever he may be, were out there by that puddle o' blood, and the man as did the deed, whomsoever he be, were a-standin' behind this locust tree.' but for them greenhorns I might a got more out o' the sign. Now there ain't the ghost o' a chance. They've tramped the whole place into a dernation mess, cavortin' and caperin' about. Well, tear no use goin' fur that way. The bestest thing now are to take the back track, if it ere possible, and discover where the hoss with the broke shoe toted his rider outer he went back from this little bit of still huntin'. Therefore, old Zeblon Stump, back ye go on the boot tracks." With this grotesque apostrophe to himself, he commenced retracing the footmarks that had guided him to the edge of the opening. Only in one or two places were the footprints at all distinct, but Zeb scarce cared for their guidance. Having already noted that the man who made them had returned to the place where the horse had been left, he knew the back track would lead him there. There was one place, however, where the two trails did not go over the same ground. There was a forking in the open list through which the supposed murderer had made his way. It was caused by an obstruction, a patch of impenetrable thicket. They met again, but not till that on which the hunter was returning straggled off into an open glade of considerable size. Having become satisfied of this, Zeb looked around into the glade, for a time forsaking the footsteps of the pedestrian. After a short examination, he observed a trail altogether distinct and of a different character. It was a well-marked path entering the opening on one side and going out on the other 
in short, a cattle track. Zeb saw that several shod horses had passed along it some days before, and it was this that caused him to come back and examine it. He could tell to a day, to an hour, when the horses had passed, and from the sign itself. But the exercise of his ingenuity was not needed on this occasion. He knew that the hoof-prints were those of the horses ridden by Spangler and his party, after being detached from the main body of searchers who had gone home with the Major. He had heard the whole story of that collateral investigation, how Spangler and his comrades had traced Henry Poindexter's horse to the place where the Negro had caught it, on the outskirts of the plantation. To an ordinary intellect this might have appeared satisfactory. Nothing more could be learnt by anyone going over the ground again. Zeb Stump did not seem to think so. As he stood looking along it, his attitude showed indecision. "'If I could make sure o' havin' time,' he muttered, "'I'd foller it first. Just as like as not I'll find a fluke there, too. But there's no certainty about the time, and I'd better proceed to settle with the animal as cast the quarter-shoe. He had turned to go out of the glade when a thought once more stayed him. Arter all, it can be easy found at any time. I can guess where it'll lead, as certain as if I'd rud alongside the skunk that made it. Straight cussed to the stable o' Caser Corver. It's a durn pity to drop this un. Now, whilst I'm here upon the spot, it'll give me the makin' o' another ten-mile journey, and there mountain be time. Doggoned if I don't try a little way along it. The old mar can wait till I come back. Bracing himself for new investigation, he started off upon the cattle track, trodden by the horses of Spangler and his party. To the hoof-marks of these he paid but slight attention, at times none whatever. His eye only sought those of Henry Poindexter's horse, though the others were of an after-time and often destroyed the traces he was most anxious to examine, he had no difficulty in identifying the latter. As he would have himself said, any greenhorn could do that. The young planter's horse had gone over the ground at a gallop. The trackers had ridden slowly. As far as Zeb Stump could perceive, the latter had made neither halt nor deviation. The former had. It was about three-quarters of a mile from the edge of the venue. It was not a halt the galloping horse had made, but only a slight departure from his direct course, as if something he had seen, wolf, jaguar, cougar, or other beast of prey, had caused him to shy. Beyond he had continued his career, rapid and reckless as ever. Beyond the party along with Spangler had proceeded, without staying to inquire why the horse had shied from his track. Zeb Stump was more inquisitive and paused upon this spot. It was a sterile tract, without herbage, and covered with shingle and sand. A huge tree overshadowed it, with limbs extending horizontally. One of these ran transversely to the path over which the horses had passed, so low that a horseman, to shun contact with it, would have to lower his head. At this branch Zeb Stump stood gazing. He observed an abrasion upon the bark. That, though very slight, must have been caused by contact with some substance, as hard, if not sounder, than itself. "'That's been done by the skull o' a human critter,' reasoned he. "'A human critter that must have been on the back o' a hoss.' this side the branch, and off on the t'other. No living man could have stood such a collision as that, and kept his seat of the settle. Hoorah! he triumphantly exclaimed, after a cursory examination of the ground underneath the tree. I thought so. There's the impression o' the throwed rider, and there's where he has creeped away. Now I've got explication o' that big bump as has been puzzling me. I knowed it won't did by the claws o' any varmint, and it didn't look like the blow either o' a stone or a stick. That ear's the stick that is gin it. With an elastic step, his countenance radiant of triumph, the old hunter strode away from the tree, no longer upon the cattle path, but that taken by the man who had been so violently dismounted. To one unaccustomed to the chaparral, he might have appeared going without a guide, and upon a path never before pressed by human foot. 
a portion of it perhaps had not, but Zeb was conducted by signs which, although obscure to the ordinary eye, were to him intelligible as the painted lettering upon a finger-post. The branch contorted to afford passage for a human form, the displaced tendrils of a creeping plant, the scratched surface of the earth, all told that a man had passed that way. The sign signified more, that the man was disabled, had been crawling, a cripple. Zeb Stump continued on, till he had traced this cripple to the banks of a running stream. It was not necessary for him to go further. He had made one more splice of the broken thread. Another, and his clue would be complete. End of chapter 77